Good morning. You glad that you're here today? Incredible opportunity to worship our God, wasn't it? And to do it collectively together. And boy, we don't have words fit for a king, but hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, praise God for that truth. It's been a great week at our home this week. Uh, our older son, Josh, my wife worked hard and he worked hard to get his house up on the market. He's getting married October 30th and they, it's sold or has pending this week, so we're grateful for that step for Josh. And uh, Hannah and Johnny are leaving for Dominican Republic uh, this Saturday on the mission trip here at Grace. And I was called by a friend, a good friend, on Friday. His mom is in her last hours, and, um, and so he is caring for her and asked if I would come and spend some time with him. And I said, absolutely, be glad to. So Friday... Uh, evening, I went over and uh, spent some time with him and his mom and their family that were there. And I asked her this question, uh, if she's ready, what's her exit plan? What's her exit strategy? Uh, does she, is she going to meet the Lord? And she said, I hope so. And I said, you know, uh, you can know so. Word of God says that we can know uh, that we'll meet Jesus again. And, and I asked her if she would like to know that and be absolutely certain, and she said she would. So a lady with um, oxygen running through her nose gave her life to Christ on the bed on Friday night. So we can praise God for that. This morning I, I get up, as I do every Sunday morning at 4 a.m., and, and as a church, and I know as our family I watched my wife even this week in tears praying for Dan Yoder and Laura and our family has and many of us have. And, and this morning I, I woke up and uh, the Lord brought to mind this verse that I sent to my family and I sent to Laura Yoder. And it comes from Acts chapter 4 for Dan is an elder here at Grace. He's a good friend, fell uh, on construction pro uh, project last week, but and Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And then it says this in verse 14. This is a verse I sent to our family text thread and I sent to Laura this morning and I said, I'm praying this and I believe this will happen. Verse 14 says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. I believe that can happen with our brother. I believe that God can do that. As we get to near the end of this journey, we've been plowing through 2 Timothy. It's Paul's last letter. He wrote 13. He's on his final lap. It's the gun lap. And he's writing to young Timothy. Paul is 62 to 68 years old. He will eventually die of a beheaded by, by the, the leaders during Nero's rule. And he's at his last breath. He's coming around the turn. He sees the finish line. And he's longing to see his friends. And this text reminds us of this truth. Even the strongest need close friends. For a man who has lived an all-in life, Paul was relentless. If you would have spent time with him, he had a never-give-up attitude. His faith was big. As hard as he was... It, Early in his life before Christ, persecuting Christians, he is now coming to Christ or knows Christ personally. He is now hoping people will find the same Christ that he persecuted. He's in a jail and there's a pending hearing that would ultimately lead to his death. 
and he's crying out for someone to be with him. Even the strongest need close friends. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you what I mean as Paul gets near the end and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 9 through 15. We began this series with chapter 4 verses 1 through 8, and we're nearing the end, so stand with me as we read 2 Timothy 4 verses 9 through 15. Remember, this, as I said last week, this is the breath of God. As you read this, it breathes life into you. These aren't words that you get on social media. This isn't reading the newspaper. This is the living, active word of God that rightly divides bone and marrow. And so as you read this, this is breathing life into you. So listen, think about that. As you breathe, this is life of God coming over you. So 2 Timothy 4, this read verses 9 to 15. Would you read it with me? Ready, read. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me, and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Now, Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helping to me in my ministry. I sent Titius to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on guard against him because he has strongly opposed our message. You may have a seat. There's a lot that's been said about friendships. Here are some thoughts on friendships. C.S. Lewis said this many years ago in regards to friendship. He said this, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. An unknown author said this about friendship. A friend is someone who understands your past, believes in your future, and accepts you just the way you are. I love that about my wife. She's my greatest friend on earth. Martin Luther King said this in regards to friendships. He said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. An unknown author said this in regards to friendship. Truly great friends are hard to find, difficult to leave, and impossible to forget. Paul is at the end of his life, and he's crying out for friends. The joy of lasting friendship is priceless. And I would say the joy of godly lasting friendships is priceless. He says in this text, in chapter 4 and verse 9, if you look at it, if you could see this in the original, it says, do your best to come to me quickly. In the original language, this is a command. It's not just using the verb come if you can. It's no, come. I command you to come to see me. It's not if you're available. It's not if it's on your priority list, it's come now. The context here for a moment is important too. Think about this for a second. He's crying out to Luke and he's asking him to come. Sometimes we lose sight of, oh, I can come. No. He was 1,456 miles away. Put that into context. So wrap your mind. Those of you who are gone with me and many of us men as we leave for Western Maryland this, this Thursday night, if you, if you were to drive to Maryland and then drive back to Indiana, and then drive to Maryland again, that's how long that trip is. It's a long trip, 1,456 miles. In fact, 
if you were just driving it alone during this time, it would roughly be a 32-hour trip. If you were walking this mostly land route, it would take 450 hours without any delays. If you were doing it, it would be 19 24-hour days with no delays. Or in reality, he's asking Luke, come grab Luke and Timothy, come and grab Mark and take 45 days of your time to be with me. That's asking for a lot from someone. And during this time, the context of this is this, the majority of Christians were scrambling to get out of Rome. Why? Because of the beast, Nero. And you heard me say well, he, his nickname was the beast. Nero was the one who crucified Christians. In fact, I don't know if you're aware, but I want to set the context even more from a historical account in regards to Nero, from which Paul was in prison. Timothy is now going to plant churches. Paul had had planted churches. He wants him to come and be with him, bring Luke and bring Mark. And the truth is, Nero was born into a family, history tells us, who murdered each other. Nero became emperor at 17 years old after a life, young life of perversion. Early on, he tried to drown his own mother. And when that failed, he stabbed her to death. His own mother. This is who's leading Rome right now. Nero even loathed his wife, history tells us, so he banished her, then had her killed. Then he married one of his mistresses, whom he stole from a senator. Later, Nero kicked her to death. He then married Messalina after having her husband murdered. And if you were to arouse Nero's dislike or suspicion, it was good as writing your own death certificate. And so Paul's saying, come, go grab Luke and, and Mark and have them be with me. In AD 64, when the fire broke out in the poor section of Rome, where most of the buildings were built of wood, it was widely believed that Nero had ordered the fire himself in order to reconstruct the city in a Greek style and to build himself a fabulous golden house. When the citizens discovered it was Nero who set the week-long fire, Nero blamed the fire on Christians. He charged them with the crime of arson and launched a fierce, widespread, demonic reign of terror against Christians and against Christianity. Christians were hunted down, if you read the history, they were hunted down and savagely executed. They were burned alive as torches for light for Nero's midnight orgies. They were sewn up in skins and thrown to wild beasts in the arena. This terror spread throughout the Roman Empire. This is the context to which Paul is saying, I want Luke, I want Mark to be with me. How many of you would travel from Indiana to Maryland to Maryland, Indiana, and back to Maryland on foot, knowing full well that you could lose your life, and not only lose your life, you could be brutally, brutally killed. It takes a great friend to be willing to do so. 
It was from that context, think about it, that, that Paul is saying, come quickly. I command you to come. What kind of friend would do such a thing? Often the question has been asked and often it's circulated in my circles. Why did Paul need anyone? Like it's Paul. Like he was shipwrecked. He was, he was, he was lashed twice. He was stoned. He, he was left for dead. I mean, this is Paul. Does Paul need friends? There's often this misnomer in our world that leaders top-tier leaders and those that have big faith don't need friends. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Can I cue you in on something if you're not aware of it? That people at the top can attest to, whether you're a businessman, a superintendent of schools, a principal, a coach, a pastor, a business owner. It can be lonely at the top. Paul is lonely. Yes, he has Jesus. Yes, God is with him. But God has designed us to live in community. And he longs for us to have friends, godly friends, that will not leave our side. Leadership and loneliness go hand in hand. Most think that leaders spend so much of their time with people that a rich social life becomes almost automatic, but nothing could be further from the truth. I sit with pastors and pastor's wives who my wife has a passion for, some of the loneliest people on planet Earth. Yet, Paul finds himself in this place and saying, please, I need Luke and I want Mark to come be with me. Just do a quick snapshot of scripture Moses, lonely times. Can you imagine the wilderness journey for him? David, just read Psalms. Up here, Lord, I'm lonely. God, I'm good. I'm not good. It's just, he was almost schizophrenic in his, his relationship with God. Hot, cold, hot, cold, lonely. Where's God? Where are you at, God? God, you're good. Joshua, in his battles, speaking about his need for someone to come along. Jesus himself. He was so lonely in the garden. It said he sweated drops of blood. Going to Golgotha, going to the skull, going going to, to die at Calvary. Jesus, all his friends left him. And the seven sayings from the cross were words of loneliness and love. And so Paul, at the end of his gun lap, you know what he wants? He wants his friends near him, that he can confide in it, that they can support and care and love. And why is that? Why is it, why is it lonely at the top? Why is it difficult for such a man like Paul and those that find themselves at the top of whatever organization or church that you're in? Because every decision that you make and Paul makes and anyone makes either divides or unites. Holy cow, during this pandemic, The church has been divided. People blame the top for everything that doesn't go their way. Coaches are blamed for everything when a player doesn't perform. Presidents are some of the loneliest people on planet Earth. You and I aren't privy to share all the details when you're at the top of why you made decisions that you made. 
You have to make hard calls that will never be fully understood by everyone. You are there to please God and not man. I often tell the pastors that I coach, listen, if you're a people pleaser, you won't do well in ministry. God calls some to lead from the top. It doesn't make them better or someone that's, that serves alongside of them less. It just requires a resilient faithfulness to God. It's believing that he's called you to do this and you listen to him and ultimately he's the one that you answer to. Paul is feeling that weight at the end. And the weight at the top is so much heavier than any other place. Do you realize that even for pastors, Paul is speaking to young Timothy who's an up and coming pastor. Do you realize that during this pandemic alone, 30% of pastors have either fled or thought about leaving the local church. 30% across America. Because it was too hard, it was too difficult. People don't love me anymore, I thought they liked me. And because the church has been divided, it is hard at the top, and people, hear me, Paul's need friends that will stand with them. And we're seeing it in the context here. Paul's at the top and now finds himself with only a couple friends to stand with him, but they are good friends. They are brothers that will die for him. These are brothers that are willing to be executed by the beast of Rome. That my friends, is a real friend. And that's Paul. And he longs for that. But then he gives us this list of those that kind of weren't there for him. Look what he says. He says in verse 10, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone away to, to the Thessalonian church or to Thessalonica. And he says, Christians has gone to Galatia. That's a good thing. And Titus to, to, look what he says. He says, he's going to Dalmatia and only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with me. He said, I only have Luke by my side. I, I go get Mark, and, and, but come, 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 Tim. 1,456 miles because he is helpful to me in ministry. By the way, Demas is no lightweight he had been with Paul through many of his missionary journeys. He was an up and good saint at some portion of his life. Maybe, just maybe, he collapsed under the, the pressure of torture or the thought of death. His cowardness was greater than his commitment. The word deserted means this in the original. It, to leave one in the lurch. In other words, leave them in death's hand grip. He says, only Luke is with me. Come, Timothy, grab Mark, come with me. Any coworker of Paul risks alienation and persecution. It's hard to find loyalty to God and each other when the heat is turned up. He left, Demas left because... Paul says, he loved the things of this world more than the impact of his potential ministry. He says, Christians, who, he was, he's gone, and which happens, I, Paul established his church with the Galatian people. He was there serving, good thing, but he couldn't be found. He didn't sneak away, he was doing ministry. 
Then we got Titus that we're familiar with, Dalmatia. He said, he, I sent him to Dalmatia. Well, you know, Titus, Paul wrote a letter to him. He was faithful, but he's off doing ministry, which often happens with faithful servants. In fact, in the book of Corinthians, Paul mentions Titus nine times about his faithful co-laborer in Christ. Yet even ones at the top, like Paul, long for godly friends and have needs. Sometimes, as in the case of Paul, it's easy to forget that heroes have human needs like everyone else. He may have been stoned. He may have had his head executed. Luke was willing. He was with him. Timothy, come and grab Mark. And they were willing to make the trek. Luke was there. He was willing to die for him. He was very human. And even great heroes of our faith have needs for friends. One of my heroes of our faith is Billy Graham. And this summer I read a whole bunch of books. And this was one of my favorite Saturdays with Billy. I encourage you to read it. It's a story that I didn't even know about Billy Graham. It was a story of his friend I'd never heard of. His name was Don Wilton, who met with Billy on Sundays, just about every Sunday when he was in town. He was a local pastor in North Carolina, and he would make his trek to Billy's house for a two-hour drive to spend time with Billy Graham because Billy wanted his friendship. And so he tells the story of his times with Billy Graham. And in one of the accounts, he shares this about Billy Graham and how not only did he need friends, but he was such a great friend to so many people. He says this in his book. He says, such was his influence, Billy, with his friends. Most would agree that when Billy spoke, we all felt as though we were getting a word from God. It was no wonder that these famous people all wanted to have an audience with Billy Graham. When they got him, they got God somehow. This is exactly what the evangelist was talking about to everyone. This lay at the heart of every message in every stadium and to all the people he loved so much. God loves you and people need the Lord. He would say all around the world, but he did not limit this message to stadiums packed with people. He said the same thing to a president of the United States as he did to the Queen of England. He would say the same thing to the King of Jordan as he did to a man who showed up to his house to check the plumbing. He would share this with Muhammad Ali as well as his friend Gary Player. God loves you. Make no doubt, Don writes about it, he did love being with them all. They were his friends. He loved their families and their company. He loved their homes and their places. He loved fishing with them in beautiful places like Maine. He loved spending days at Camp David. This type of friendship perhaps is well illustrated by a trip he and his wife Ruth made to Washington, D.C., Upon arrival, they were quite content in their hotel when the phone rang. It was the first lady of the United States of America. The conversation may have sounded like this. Billy, are you and Ruth already asleep? Just about. We are too, she said, but we want to see you and talk. Can you come over? We will send a car in 15 minutes to your hotel. Billy and Ruth 
quickly changed into their clothes and hopped into the waiting car. Word has it, the final picture of that day is delightful. President and Mrs. Ronald Reagan in their pajamas, sitting on the balcony late at night, accompanied by Dr. and Mrs. Billy Graham, talking about their family and personal concerns. Just four friends drinking tea together. Even at the top, as president, there's a need for close friends. It's an amazing journey, and Don shares in this book in regards to his relationship with Billy Graham, that he spent every Sunday when Billy was in town. He was a pastor. He said this, on one occasion he took me for a walk on a pathway above and behind the house. He asked me what I was preaching on the next day. There was a common question after I told him where I was in scriptures. He simply said, well then Don, why don't you preach a little? I soon realized this was not a suggestion, so I began to preach a little to Billy. Quickly, Mr. Graham interrupted me and said, don't worry about me, just look down towards the house and preach your text for tomorrow. By now, I must admit, I was somewhat anxious. Nevertheless, I began to preach the sermon from my memory to the trees. I could sense Mr. Graham coming somewhere behind me. Again, he stopped me and said something I will never forget. Preach like you actually believe what you are preaching. With that, he said, I'm certain the good folks way down in the town of Montreat may have heard me. Don, Mr. Graham said, if you cannot preach to the trees like you actually have deep conviction about the word of God, why do you think God would want to actually put people in front of you to hear it? Friendships, deep friendships. Every person needs a friend. It's easy to forget that heroes have human needs like everyone else. There's four truths that I found this week about us in our time of need. All of us will be in need. The first truth is this, I would say. When you are lonely, you need caring, close friends. Paul never counted rugged individualism as an opt-out for not having a friend. Secondly, I would say this. When you are hurt, you need loyal advocates. What do I mean by that? Someone who supports you and defends you when you aren't there. Through the years, I've had some close, my wife is the best at this, by the way, and so are our children. But I've had close friends along the way that have had people come to them and say something, and they, their response was, you know what? That hasn't been my experience with Pastor Jim. They shut off the disparaging word. That's an advocate. Thirdly, I would say this. When you are loved, you need to be grateful. We are loved by God. We are loved by friends. Someone who supports you and loves you, why keep all this love to yourselves? It's, it's as if for some people they believe that God has only given us so much in a jar of encouragement and so much in a jar of affirmation. Like somehow we're going to run out of affirmation and encouragement. Hear me out. We are loved by the God of the universe. Give it out. Give it out. Fourthly, when you are needy, admit it. Vulnerability 
in authenticity. When someone asks how you're doing, just say, I need help. One of the many goals here at Grace Community, and you've been here if you've been with me for a while, and with the leaders here and and the beautiful people of Grace, is to get people from this auditorium into smaller rooms. They're called small groups. I know we appreciate in our small group those that have committed to, to making it a priority to meet. Finding small groups in women's ministries, in youth ministries, and in men's ministries. Men are horrible at developing friends. And so I've given my life to try to create environments where men can get together, love on each other, keep each other accountable. And by the way, men, by the time they reach the age of 30, only have one good friend after the age of 30. We need relationship. God has designed us for relation. Paul is saying, Luke is with me. Grab Mark. Timothy and come see me. We work hard at connecting men. Men long to belong, yet are afraid to do the hard things. They get busy with life. We create environments here called Fight Club that you can go on a journey together, do life together. We create environments called Dudes and Doctrine where you can do life together. We have moments in prayer encounter where you can do life together. We have moments called Dudes and Doctrine where you can do life together. We have a retreat going to Western Maryland, and I can tell you that through the years I have heard men say, God only does some things on that mountain, yet when the time rolls around, men find another reason not to go. Let me just speak to adult fathers who have adult sons. Pull your sons in to those environments. There's nothing more beautiful in dudes and doctrine when I see a father and adult son digging in the text together. I love it when I see it happen. You can do this. Saturday morning, 6 a.m., once a month. Bring your adult son, study God's word together. Take them on this wild at heart men's retreat together. Do fight club together. Go on this journey together. Do life together. Men long to belong. At a recent funeral of Tanya's husband, Neil, at the end of the service, I asked men that were Fight Club grads to stand and just line the aisle. And on both sides, from one end completely to the other, stood men, shoulder to shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder to shoulder. And I watched Tanya walk down these men saying, He's our brother too. And I cannot tell you how many texts I received from men that said, that was powerful. Why? Because we connect. You can't connect if you're not connected. Paul needed connections. Paul has Luke. What do we know about Luke? We know him as a doctor and a dedicated evangelist. And from his writing of the book of Luke and Acts, you hear me say this, Luke is the how-to, Acts is doing it. He wrote Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. Luke accompanied Paul to Rome and was shipwrecked with him. And yet he only refers to himself in the book of Acts talking about the shipwreck in a pronoun form. He doesn't even say his personal proper name. He's a humble doctor. 
Luke was with Paul when he wrote the book of Colossians and when he wrote Philemon while he was in prison. Luke was with him. Paul had severe infirmities, wouldn't you say? He was lashed 39 times. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked with Luke. And there's no doubt that Dr. Luke patched him up a lot. Paul had a lot in common. Both were very educated and they were men of culture. Both were big hearted and committed. Both were passionate missionaries. And who was with him at the end? Luke. Even knowing that he could lose his life. Everyone needs these kind of friends. And Paul, the top tier of heroes of many people's faith list says, Tim, when you come, bring Mark with you. 1,456 months. He still wanted friends at the end. Can I ask you a personal question? Do you have those kind of friends? Are you willing to put the investment in See, most men aren't and most women aren't. Let's just face it. Because it's too hard. It takes time. You only want something if you get something. Listen to me. You're not going to get a good friend if you're in it to get something. You need to be in it to give something. Billy Graham was at the end and they had a viewing for his funeral. And Don Wilton shares the, the details that I have never known before. And he talks about this in regards to people paying respects. He said, near the end, thousands came to Billy Graham's library to pay their respects and to say thank you to the Lord Jesus Christ. As he lay in his own homestead, President George W. Bush, First Lady Laura Bush, President Bill Clinton came to pay their respects. Busloads of people arrived, including most of, of the staff from Samaritan's Purse in Boone, North Carolina. As people filed by the place where Mr. Graham lay, they shared words with the family and each, it would seem, boasted of the Lord Jesus Christ. The following day, the city of Charlotte stood still as the procession made its way to the Charlotte airport. It seemed the airplane stood aside on the runway as Mr. Graham's body was gently lifted into an airplane that would carry God's servant to Washington, D.C. Crossing the Potomac River, the procession slowly made its way past the White House and onto the capital of the United States of America. In the lead car, I leaned forward and whispered to the chief. This is Don. I whispered, thank you, sir, on behalf of Mr. Graham and his family for all you are doing for him today. An act of Congress, he said, highest honor in the land. Billy Graham, this most humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, was only the fourth private citizen to lie in honor at the Capitol Rotunda. I have a picture of his friend. This is Billy Graham being carried the Capitol. Second group of men up on the left is someone that you probably never heard of. His name is Don Wilton. He was Billy's Luke. He was Billy's Timothy. He was Billy's Mark. He was there for him even to the end. And Paul is crying out. Even though he is the greatest of the greatest of the greatest missionaries, 
He is a hero of our faith. And in the end, he wants his friends. The truth is this. He asked for a man in this list that some who know church history are saying, what? Bring Mark? You see, if you don't know church history, it shapes the whole ending to this text. But church history tells us uh, some, some things about Mark that, that are just beautifully fascinating and gracious. And let me just preface by saying this before I talk about Mark because he fell into this category. He fell but no longer ended in this category. Some of your friends will fail you, bail on you, hurt you, disappoint you, even do damage to you and to the cause of Christ. Yet, like you and me, they can be restored, reconciled, and made part of your team again. How is that? They learn from their mistakes. They repent and have grown in the grace that God offers his servants. Let me tell you about Mark. Maybe you didn't know this. Well, bring Mark. Well, this is, this is fascinating. He's at the end, he wants Mark. Mark, who is sometimes called John Mark, had a strained relationship with Paul. On his first missionary journey that's recorded in Acts 12 and 13, Mark deserted him because it got too hard and he was fearful of losing his life. So Paul took Mark with him and they're on this journey and and Mark says, I'm out of here. Paul was ticked. Can you imagine? (laughs) Hard charging Paul? You signed up for this? Finish it. Paul was ticked and didn't want anything to do with him again because he was fearful of dying and he had abandoned the mission journey. Paul said, in his mind, you signed up for it, you made a commitment, your word is your bond and you sign your name to it, you will do what it takes to complete the journey. That's Paul in a nutshell. Later, a second missionary journey comes Barnabas and Paul are getting together and are saying, hey, let's pick a team. Barnabas says, hey, let's bring Mark with us. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, not happening. The text says there was such a bitter disagreement between the two. Paul doesn't want anything to do with Mark because he remember this past event. Barnabas is saying, I'm taking him. It says that they parted ways, Barnabas and Paul. Paul said no, and it calls now a parting between Barnabas and Paul. 20 years later, enter 2 Timothy. Paul wants him by his side. Why? Because not all letdowns will last, and past failures do not prevent future usability. Amen? You see, people can grow. Don't freeze people in the past. Grace and mercy and forgiveness are yours. In fact, history tells us that Mark, since that first journey, had become one of the most valued people in the local church leadership. Paul even mentions him in Philemon. There's only one chapter in verse 24 as a co-laborer and worker in Christ. Some of the strongest bonds I see today are sealed around very difficult hardships. And at the end, bring Mark. And you know what? Mark went. I've seen it in marriages. I've seen it 
across the board, I watched couples that were split, divided, by God's grace, reconciled and forgiveness was given and now the bond is stronger than ever. Just last week in this service right here, a couple that had been separated, had filed for divorce, were days and weeks away from being divorced. The husband sat with the wife in the service and God softened hearts, broke down the strongholds of the enemy. They left here as newly devoted and committed. They went on Monday to the courthouse and stopped all the divorce proceedings. Amen? Paul is saying, don't give up. On those who have given up on you, God's grace can restore. Then he says this, look what he says. He says at the end, I sent Titius to Ephesus. He planted a church in Ephesus, so he's not there. He's doing faithful work. And when you come, bring the cloak I left at Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. When we get to the end, all that matters is the coat on your back and the word of God and friends. Honestly, isn't that it? All your achievements, all your possessions, you can't take with you. What we need is the breath of God speaking to us. What we need are are our closest friends by our side that can comfort us. And what we need is God himself. Then he says this in regards to friends. He says, now, now, Timothy, Alexander, the metal worker, did a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. There are those. You, too, should be on guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. He warns young Timothy, watch out, there will be angels in disguise who disguise themselves as angel of lights, but they are trouble." Discern from the Lord and be sensitive to the spirit of God. Don't let them rule your church. Can I ask you a question in regards to friendship? Are you the kind of person that someone wants to call and text when good news hits their life or bad news levels them? Are you a go-to The good news is this, those of us who know Christ, we have a forever friend that will never leave us nor forsake us, and his name is Jesus. Jesus will always accept you and will never give up on you. One of my favorite passages in scripture of the friendship of Jesus is shown in Luke chapter five. You don't need to turn there, but there's a passage in Luke five, it's one of my favorite, because it's so encompassing about the love of Christ. It says that there was a guy who had leprosy. He left, left his leper colony because he heard that Jesus was near. And by the way, lepers weren't allowed to, during this time, to come within contact. They had to social distance from others. And so this leper leaves the leper colony to find Jesus. He's breaking all the CDC guidelines of the day <laughs> because he's taking this leprosy to other people, potentially getting them with leprosy. Jesus, in the text, sees him, 
breaks the CDC guidelines and touches him. And what happens to him? He is healed. I love this picture. Because here's a man that's an outcast, a culture and, and society says have nothing to do with him, but Jesus sees him because he's a friend to sinners and a friend. He walks through the customs of the day, the, 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 the laws of the day, and reaches, and I believe he did more than touch him. I believe he embraced him. That's the kind of friend that will never leave you nor forsake you even when the world is saying, stay away from me. I would often say this, and it's a, it's a word that I, a phrase that I've stressed many times, and, but I'll say this to you. Be the kind of friend you want your friend to be. Be the kind of friend you want your friend to be. Paul has Luke. He tells Tim to grab Mark so that they can make a trek of 1,456 miles just to be with their brother and potentially lose their lives. Why? Because he commanded them to do so and he knew they would be for them and with him. Let me close with some checklist of friendship qualities that I wrote down and, and I want you just to answer these. Check them off. Are you this kind of friend? Here are some qualities that build lasting friendships. You might even want to write them down. Number one, am I trustworthy? In other words, do I follow through or Am I kind of laissez-faire? I'm hot for a while. Yeah, I'm good. And then I'm not. Secondly, am I honest with others? Integrity is a must in godly friendships. Thirdly, am I dependable? What I mean by that, are you a go-to person? Or like, oh, they'll never show up. They're, they're only going to be there if this or that. Oh, they're grumpy. They're up and down. They're, am I dependable? Like, when someone calls us, will we follow through? Fourthly, am I an encourager? Some people are so stingy with encouragement. Yes, you can touch the world in seconds with your voice. Fifthly, am I a good listener? Am I a safe place to vent and comfort without gossiping? Am I loyal? In other words, you don't jump ship when something better comes or you don't jump ship when something hard comes. Seventh, am I non-judgmental? Am I filled with grace and I see the best in others? You can get condemnation anywhere, but when someone reveals their worst, is there grace instead of judgment? Eighth, am I supportive in good and bad times? In other words, do I celebrate when they get the job that I was hoping for? Do I celebrate when their child gets that and my child got this? Do I celebrate 
when they get attention and I've done more and I don't get the attention? Or do I just celebrate? Woo! Lastly, is my identity in Jesus. You see, friendships that are used as crutches where you feel better about yourself because you're with them isn't a friendship. That's a draining friendship. Am I secure in my identity? It's a citizenship issue. Do I know where I belong? Friendships aren't meant to be draining. They're meant to be life-giving. So let me ask you this closing question. Who would ask you to walk 1,456 miles to watch them die? Lord, I'm grateful that you are our forever friend. I pray, God, that as people think about us, that we have invested in relationships to the point where we would be the Timothys, the Lukes, the Marks, and that we would be willing, even looking death in our face, would travel 1,456 miles because our friend wants us to be with them. Thank you, Jesus, that you're with us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hopefully see you next week.